morning. Good morning, everyone. You guys look good today. I, uh, I'm glad that you uh, didn't as much look at the, the forecast as the sky, you know, and that's not a diss to any of you who are watching me right now from your living rooms. Uh, but yeah, I got a little nervous. I, I woke up pretty early and there was some rain, you know, and then I'm, it went from 5% chance at nine o'clock to 10% chance to 15%. Chance. Oh, is that going to keep going? But man, look at, look what God's given us again this week. It might not always happen, and we're going to be grateful for the weeks that we have to do this, but man, it is, it is glorious to be out here and worshiping with you guys. Um, so if you were singing that, that last song from the depths of your hearts, you, you've really, you really have prepared your hearts for the word this morning, that just yearning, oh, to be like you, Jesus, um, man, I hope that's sincerely the, the cry and the yearning of your heart, because here's what I promise you. Um, Jesus is about to answer that prayer in your soul this morning, right? You really can be more like Jesus, and that's, that's where we're going to go. We, we really can. So what I want you to do, if you've got your Bible or an app that you could get to First John with me, I'd love it if you'd go there and, and just hear the word of the Lord. And man, we're going to hear words of hope this morning and, and life. So what I want to do is actually, I'm just, I'm just going to start we're not that far into 1 John. It's a pretty small book. I'm just going to start with verse 1 to sweep us into the beautiful words that we're going to uh, focus on today. So 1 John chapter 1. Are you guys a little warm? Is it a little warm on you? Yeah. Sorry. Okay, I'll be quick. Just everybody relax. We'll get through this. He's going to read the whole thing. No. 1 John chapter 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed. We've seen it. We testify. We declared you the eternal life that was with the Father and now was revealed to us. And what we've seen and heard, we're now declaring to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete, like... You just get the enthusiasm of John as he's like, man, I have seen something and heard something and, and I want you to know him because it's true and it's real and I can't wait to introduce you to Jesus. And so that's what he does starting in verse five. This is the message that we've heard from him. And now we're declaring it to you. God is light. There's absolutely no darkness in him. Look, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we're lying. We don't practice the truth. That little phrase right there in verse 6, he's going to expand on that today. So kind of listen in as he's saying that. If we say, that's a common thing that John will say. If we say, if we say, like if you're giving lip service to, okay, that's kind of the way that in our vernacular we might say this. If you're giving lip service to, we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we're lying. That's not true. We're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself in the, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Look, if we're just giving lip service, we just say we have no sin. Look, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. Oh, but no, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, if we're just going to say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. Oh, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But look, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. 
man, just this week as I was reading that over again and again, I just had to write right under that last uh, part of verse 2, Christ is for us. I just wrote right in my Bible, Christ is for us. Like that, that is clearly the message that we've covered so far in 1 John. That when we step into God's light, what we find is first an, an exposure to all that is really true about us. We're all of a sudden having to acknowledge some of the darkness and some of the yucky stuff that we didn't even want to look at. But at that point, rather than finding ourselves crippled in hopelessness and and, and guilt, instead we find, oh, all I have to do is acknowledge that what I'm seeing in the mirror is actually true. What your word has revealed is true. And God, I, I, can, I forsake it. I don't want to be like that anymore. And I'm net, met not with, with judgment, but with an advocate, Jesus Christ, who forgives and cleanses and stands up for us. Like in the courtroom, sometimes we imagine um, Jesus almost being more like the the prosecutor, like always accusing. No, here, it's the opposite. He's our advocate. He's the one standing up for us to say, no, I am for him. I am for her, right? It's just a beautiful passage of hope and and forgiveness. So here's the question, though, and it's the question that that John's going to take us to today. Look, how can I know for sure that I'm on the right side of this? How can I know for sure that I'm really forgiven? How can I know for sure that I'm cleansed? How can I know when I stand before God as the judge that Jesus isn't the prosecutor, but is actually my defender and my advocate? How can I know for sure? Well, he's going to end this book. You could flip over to, to 1 John 5 because there's an, like an objective, like a very objective answer to that. What God sees is absolutely just true. I love in 1 John 5 verse 11, it says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son, okay? The one who has the son has life. There it is, just objectively. If you have the son, you have life. And the one who doesn't have the son of God doesn't have life. That's pretty clear, right? And I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you do have eternal life. Man, I still remember you guys. I was a brand new believer, like brand new. I had just bowed the knee in this old uh, football stadium practice field that it no longer exists up at UNI. And up in the bleachers of this practice football field, I'd bowed and given my life to Christ. And the guy that led me to Christ said, man, there's some people I want to introduce you to and took me down to this house where some ministry stuff happened. And this older dude, in fact, I thought he was really old. He's probably younger than I am now. But in my, you know, all of 18 years old, seemed like this old dude talking to me. And he's like, all right, I'm all of like 20 minutes old in Jesus. Okay, I'm still like wet from spiritual birth. That's kind of gross. But anyway, I'm very new in my faith. And um, he goes, well, let me ask you something, Jeff, now that we've met. How do you know for sure you're a Christian? And I'm like, I'm getting tested. I'm like 20 minutes into this thing. Like, I'm like, uh, because I prayed. Nope. Uh, because I'm a sinner. And I, nope. Nope. And he <laughs> opens his Bible to this passage, 1 John 5. I'll tell you how you know for sure. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's written that you may know that you have eternal life. Go to the Bible. Go to, that was my first impression is go to the Bible. It objectively tells you if you're in the, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll never forget that. And I never have, right? My first like encounter with the Bible there is giving me assurance. God says, if you got the son, you have life. That's enough for me. That's objectively true, right? I love that. But here's the reality. We're all humans. And sometimes we don't all feel right about things. So there's this subjective side. How can I subjectively know if I really am on the right side of this thing, okay? That's where he's going to go with this, okay? So I want you to look now 
at, at 1 John 2, now starting in verse 3. This is how we know that we know him. Isn't that cool? Just hit pause. This is how you can know. God knows. Your name is either in the book of life or it's not. Like there's an objective truth if you're in Christ. But here's how you can know that you know (laughs) that you are really in Christ, okay? This is how we know that we know him. And here's the first one. There's only two points, okay? If we keep his commands... That's how we know if we know him. If we keep his commands. The one who says, I've, I've come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, he's a liar. The truth isn't in him, but whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we're in him. Okay, he's going to repeat that. Here's how you know. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he did. So the very first thing, how do we know that we know him? And guys, I'm going to just let you hear the answer early on. Just two things, love God and love your neighbor. <laughs> That's what it's going to come down to. And the first one is love God. He makes this connection between loving God and keeping the commandments, keeping his word. He repeats that like three times. Keep the commandments, keep the commandments, keep his word. The connection of loving God and keeping his word is with us early, early on from Jesus' ministry. I want to just read something from another writing of this same guy, John, but in the Gospel of John, here's what Jesus said back in John chapter 8, verse 30. He said, as he was saying these things, many people believed in Jesus. And so here's what Jesus says. Many people are saying, oh, I'll believe you. And Jesus said this, if you continue in my word, then you really are my disciples, and you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The, the way you're going to know if there really is a love toward Jesus, a love, I, I love you, I'm going to follow you, is if you keep his word, if you keep his commands. He goes on to repeat that, you guys, in John 14, in John 15. He'll pray that out for us in John 17, this connection between our love for God and our following him, following his word. Now, you guys, this is not science, not rocket science at all. I, and when I thought about how self-evident this is, oh, if I claim to know Jesus, I should walk in that way, um, <laughs> I thought of this old illustration, and so some of you are going to have to bear with me and give me the, the old man grace card, because it, it's an episode of Phil Donahue that is back from like probably the 70s, okay? So Phil Donahue was this guy that started these talk, daytime talk shows like before Ellen, before even Oprah, if you can imagine that, way before even that, this guy Phil Donahue. And uh, one time on his episodes, he had, um, this is ridiculous that I'm telling you this, but he had lesbian nuns whatever. Okay. So, so, you know, always the intrigue, always to get the audience had this whole episode on lesbian nuns, whatever. Anyway, and he claims to be a Catholic. So he's like, well, as a Catholic, so at one point he goes out into the audience, this was Phil Donahue. He got in the audience with his microphone, you know, and ask questions. So all of a sudden one guy raises it, he walks over. Well, you guys, it's an Orthodox Hasidic Jew. Okay. So just imagine the hat, the long robes, the ringlets, you know what I mean? The little black ringlets coming down to full on Hasidic Jew. And uh, he filled down. I'll never forget this. I don't know why. Walks up, grabs, grabs the rabbi, and he goes, of all the shows you had to come to, you had to come to one with a bunch of lousy Catholics. Ha, 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 ha. You know, he's laughing. And, and, the, and the rabbi goes, uh, Phil, do you mind if I say a word? You know, and yeah, go ahead. So he, he says, well, can I have the microphone? And the <laughs> Phil's like, sure. Hands the microphone over to him. And he goes, Phil, you're about as Catholic as I am. 
Like, and the whole crowd, like, just like, here's this Hasidic Jew, you know, you're about as Catholic as I am, you know? And then pretty soon they go from shock laughter, like booing the guy down and Phil's going, let the rabbi talk, let the rabbi talk, you know? And so he goes, Phil, you call yourself a Catholic. You don't go to mass. You don't believe what the Catholic church teaches. You don't follow what the Pope says. You're no more Catholic than I am. And then he turns around and he goes, and some of you sitting in this audience, you call yourself Jews. You're no more Jewish than Phil Donahue is. You don't keep Shabbat. You don't have a kosher home. And he starts going on. And by this point, the whole, boo, you know, and Phil has to rescue him, you know, and get the mic out of his hand or whatever. Here's the thing. What was the rabbi doing? Just the most self-evident thing in the world. You know, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, flies like a duck, whatever, it's probably not a turtle, Right? Do we have to say this stuff out loud? You know what I mean? Like, it's so self-evident. What John is saying is something so self-evident. If you claim to love God, if you claim to follow Jesus, if you claim he's your advocate, if you claim to have been forgiven and stepped into the light and what he says about yourself, it should look like something. You you should follow him, right? There's a a beautiful passage. I I won't uh, go to it. But in Matthew 21, Jesus talks about this. It's just so that we know, not, not that it's going to happen perfectly, but that should be the, the trajectory of our life. He, he gives this parable in Matthew 21 of two sons, right? This dad has a big farm, calls, calls one of his boys, and he says, hey, son, I want you to go out in my vineyard today. And the, and the first son says, ah, I don't want to. I'm not going to. And then later he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go work for my dad and goes out. The second son comes up. He says, hey, son, I want you to go work out in my vineyard. He says, oh, yes, right away, sir. And then never does, right? Jesus said, well, which of the two sons did what his father said? And everybody in the crowd's like, well, the guy who reluctantly, but actually did it, right? Jesus is, is trying to give us a point here. Sometimes we're reluctant. Sometimes we're slow to the game. Sometimes we're not responsive right off. But overall, here's what Jesus is commending. That you change your mind that you change the course of your life. And even if reluctantly, even if, if it's a little bumpy, right? In that passage, he said, that's why prostitutes and tax collectors are actually coming to me and the rest of you aren't. Because eventually they're like, you know what? He's right. We should actually listen to him, okay? Here's what I'm trying to say. Father is trying to say there is a better life and it will bring you joy. It's, it's not just because I'm this rule giving father that heavenly father is loving and saying man your joy will be complete if you'll just follow my word right that's why he ends up at at the end of that passage saying you know if we claim that we remain him we should just walk as jesus did so here's i want to just get real practical then we'll move on to the the second point and and be done i'm sweating i don't know if you guys are but i'm sweating up here let's get really practical because john is very practical here's my question to you do you read the Bible? Do you read his word? Because guys, um, having the map in your hand does you very little good to get from point A to point B if you don't open the map, right? The fact that you have that little app on your, yes, thank you. I'm glad for the applause. Um, you, You can have the app on your phone and you can say, oh yeah, I've got a map. It does you no good unless you open it up. And that's how you get from point A to point B, right? If you're going to learn to walk as Jesus did, it has to come start by opening your Bible. How does Jesus walk? <laughs> How does Jesus think? How does Jesus talk? I, I just 
man, if we want to walk as Jesus walked, I just implore you, um, first, commend you. If you are reading your Bible, keep going. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you get in some, some dry spots. All right, keep going because you're learning the ways of God. You're learning the mind of God. But then secondly, here's what I want to ask. When was the last time that you were reading the Bible and you immediately made a change in your life because of something you read? When was the last time you were reading your Bible and after you're done reading your Bible, you thought, I've got to call somebody to share Christ with them because I'm realizing God brought that person to mind. I've got the words of hope. They don't have them. I need to, today, I'm calling them right now. I'm getting in touch with somebody, a friend, a family member, whatever. When was the last time that you, you were reading the Bible and you thought, you know what, I've got that sin in my life. It's, it's time for me to toss that bottle. It's time to put the, the filter on my phone and, and tell some friends that I'm stumbling here. I'm, I'm going to start giving away something to somebody else in need because I'm realizing I'm a greedy man. And I, When was the last time you opened your Bible, something struck you, and you actually that moment decided you're going to do something about it and you followed up, right? What I'm saying is even if reluctantly, even if you dragged your feet, even you were like that son that said, I don't want to do that, did you finally like, you know what? Jesus is right. I want to follow Jesus. That's what loving God is, okay? Loving God means you're going to love God by keeping his word. Very simple. Okay, second point. Then we'll get out of the sun. Love your, I got to stop reminding you that. You're going to get more hot if I keep saying it out loud. Maybe I'm just projecting on you because I'm receiving the full brunt of it. Okay, here's the second point. Look at 1 John 2 starting in verse 7. This is all under that umbrella of how we can know that we know him. Dear friends, he says in verse 7, I'm not writing you a new command but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the word that you heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Well, make up your mind. John, what are you saying? It's not a new command. Oh, it is a new command. What is it, right? The old command is the word you've heard, but I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Want to stop and then we'll finish it off. It's not new. He's going to start talking about love, for each other. It's not new in this sense. From the opening pages, we learn that we have a loving God. Genesis 1 describes a loving creator. We go all the way through the whole Testament. You open to the, to the New Testament, you find Jesus pouring out love, right? Greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is expressing love. It's not brand new to us that we are to be loving people. But it is new in the sense that what Jesus is doing is bringing us whole new levels of love as we keep stepping more and more into the light. As he sheds more light on us, that's, that's the illustration he gives, right? The old, the darkness is passing away, the light is coming, and as we boldly take more steps into the light, we're going to discover way more texture, way more about this love thing. We think we've got this one. Oh, I've heard that from the beginning. We don't know, we've barely scratched the surface on what God wants to draw out of us when it comes to love. That's what he's trying to say. So then here's, let me just even talk about a couple of those, and then I want to I finish off with what he says. How about this? Matthew 8, or Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You talk about upping your game on love. Love your enemies, that's in, in the, at the end of Matthew 5, and pray for those who persecute you. Guys, I think, and, and by the way, I haven't even listened to it yet, but Cole just preached this, that passage, Matthew 5, last Thursday night. 
I'm going to advertise it even though I haven't even heard it yet because I'll bet it was awesome. I talked to him about it beforehand. And one of the things that Cole was telling me about that passage is I think the world is really, really hungry to see Matthew 5 and this kind of love played out in real life right in front of their eyes. And here's why I know that's true. I'm hungry for it. I'm seeing so much hate. I'm seeing so much conflict. I'm looking for those glimpses, and I've seen them, right? So a couple of cops that we have right right here uh, at Veritas have told me that as they've been out trying to be peacekeepers and, and keep things peaceful, a couple of times, one is in Asian America, a couple of the others were African Americans, and from, from the crowd, they had racial slurs thrown at their face as they're trying to keep peace and help them stay safe. And you know what they did? Acknowledged it, snod their heads, waved, smiled, and just let them go. They, they actually didn't respond in kind, right? And I was like, man, isn't it beautiful? And, and you've all seen those examples of cops going up and kneeling and praying with, with protesters. and all those, those moments, right, we're just hungry for that stuff. We're like, look at that beautiful expression of those that you would think would be in opposition suddenly taking a knee and serving one another. That's so beautiful. Then I just saw you guys, maybe if you've been around for a while, maybe you're new to Veritas, you, I talk about BBC a lot because that's where I get my news is BBC, and I'm sorry for all the American news feeds, but I go across the pond to BBC to get my news. And just yesterday, they had this really cool story of, of this guy. I wrote his name down. His name's Patrick Hutchinson. Patrick Hutchinson was at a Black Lives Matter event. Um, he's an African-American guy, Black Lives Matter event. And all of a sudden, some white supremacists showed up to really, um, in his perfect British, and if Joel's here, I won't do it because I'll get the accent wrong, but he called them hooligans, these hooligans out there. So these, these, these white supremacists showed up, and they started doing some nasty stuff. Well, all of a sudden, the white supremacists backed off, but one of the guys didn't get the memo and was left all by himself, one of the white supremacists who was there doing bad stuff, and all of a sudden, he got surrounded by some of the protesters. So here's what Patrick Hutchison is, all of his buddies, they look over on the stairwell and see what's going on. They go up, surround this guy, and the picture in BBC is this guy, Patrick, big dude, reaches down, throws this guy on his shoulder like a fireman's carry, and then they, all of his buddies, surround him, and they carry this white supremacist off to safety, right? Even though that guy was there as an enemy to him, he runs in in that moment and protects him. All I'm saying is this. Jesus, why was that on BBC News? Why? Because I think all those news feeds know we're looking for some examples of love. We're looking for some examples of the kind of thing that Jesus teaches us. And guys, if there's ever a moment for you, God's people, to have a whole new level of love, this is that moment. If we would be the ones to make those crazy expressions of love where we're loving enemies, praying for persecutors, this is our moment. A couple other ways that Jesus like gives us a whole new level of love. Love those least likely to pay you back. Okay? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The story of the Good Samaritan is given in answer to a question, well, who really is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who's my neighbor? Jesus' answer is the Good Samaritan. A guy who is penniless, he's just been robbed, broke, has no way to pay him back. Do we give love just to those who can pay us back? Greet those who greet us back, or do we love those who have no capacity to ever pay us back for the expression of love? Love by believing and acting, Philippians 2, that other people are actually more important than myself. Christian, do you walk out into your day, into your world, thinking, I don't love the way that I, I, 
I kind of know naturally in the way that maybe the world system works. No, I'm going to take love to a whole other level. I'm going to believe that other people today, everybody I see is more important than I am. Man, just whole new textures. But here's the gut punch, and here's how we're going to end, is letting John drive this home. Look at what he says in verse 9. The one who says he's in the light but hates his brother or sister, he's in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. But I'm telling you, the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You guys, I underlined that and put a little highlight on that last one. Darkness has blinded his eyes. Think about the metaphor John's using there. Normally, we think about what's going on right now. The sun, light, blinding our eyes, right? That's what blinds our eyes is light. (laughs) He's saying you are so deep into darkness, darkness has blinded your eyes. He is, guys, trying to help us to see if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be upping your game in love. And I'm telling you, if you can't even love your brother or sister, if you have actually traded love for a brother and sister for hate for a brother and sister, not only are you not finding you know, new levels of love, you're in a horrible place. I'm asking you to love your enemies. You can't even love your brother? You can't even love your sister? So in our theology class, we've just been going into Genesis. When you, when you get done seeing Genesis 3 and, and sin coming into the world, what's the very first expression of sin that we find when we turn the page and go to Genesis 4? What's the very first obvious sin that we encounter in Genesis? Cain and Abel, right? A brother killing a brother. I think John's got that in mind. Like the worst way. And so here's what happens in that whole moment. God is continually reaching out to Cain to try to draw him. Man, if you do the right thing, I'll love you. Come on, just do the right thing. Kills his brother. Even after the event, after a murder has taken place, God once again chases Cain down. Cain's not running into the light to talk to God. God is going after Cain. And you know what? Cain never does own, I did the wrong thing. Do we ever see that in Genesis 4? You know what? I shouldn't have done that. I missed my brother. No. You can't make, I'm crippled with this. I, now, now he becomes a victim of the punishment that he's getting. And at the end of it, God still is chasing after him with his words. And Cain, it says, lived east of Eden. It's where Steinbeck gets the title for his book, like east of Eden, like running away from God. Here is what John's trying to say. At the very least, <laughs> guys, we have to love our brother and sister. And, and, and for John, that goes beyond bloodlines. That's talking about within the body of Christ. We've got to have love for one another. And if we're stumbling around in hatred toward brother and sister, where he's going is, dude, you're so blind, so blind. You are blinded by the darkness right now. You've got to step into the light. You've asked Jesus to give you a whole nother level of love. So, The big question, how can I be sure I'm forgiven? How can I be sure that I'm one of those people described in the first part of 1 John? Simple answer to a simple question. Guys, love God by keeping his word. Love God by keeping his word. And then secondly, love your neighbor. And you love your neighbor by upping your game. (laughs) Find a whole new texture, whole new, like, 
ways of expressing love that maybe you've never thought of, but you're going to be transformed. Guys, here's my prayer, and this is what I want to do. I want to give you some space to pray as the worship team comes up. But here's what I'm saying. Guys, if there's ever been a moment where the world is looking for that kind of person, and and if we get the opportunity when people say, man, how are you like that? To be able to point them to Jesus Christ and the hope of having our sins forgiven and cleansing. This is our moment, church. This is our moment. So I just want to pray that we become the kind of people that John is describing. So if you would, would you stand with me? Um, and we're going to sing this out together. I'll, I'll pray us out. But I just want to give you a moment, okay? Just a moment of silence to pray this out in your own heart. What has God done in your heart and soul as the word has come to you? I'm just going to give you a moment of silence here and then I'll, I'll pray and we'll worship Jesus. Jesus, your word is so miraculous that my hope and trust is that it has gone into people's souls and done things that I could have never imagined or prompted because it's actually a work of your spirit using your powerful word to transform us. Jesus, we stand under this glaring sun and it's revealing to us. There's nothing we can hide when we're under this sun. Lord, would your word be that revealing truth? Would your presence reveal to us who we are? And then would we find not condemnation? Would we not want to run out of that light, but run into the light and find forgiveness and cleansing and hope and an advocate that is standing up for us? That you would be putting your arm around us saying, hey, I want you to be perfect, just like your heavenly father is perfect. But I'm going to show you how to get there. I'm not mad. (laughs) You're a mess. I want to show you how to get there. Oh, Lord, we are a mess and we want to get there. Would you help us? But don't let us squirm away with just some general abstract way to apply this text. Lord, would you, as many as there are here today, make your word so profound and so precise that we would know exactly what we're supposed to do because we've encountered you today. Make that the work that you do as we become more and more like you, Jesus. We pray in your name.